from a very young age, 16, I would, you know, go into the board of rooms with doctors, social workers, and I would have my notebook and pen and say, what is the medication my mother has taken? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 730 Podcast, and I'm your host, Wally White. The reason we call this the 730 Podcast is because in the 90s song Ebonics, the late, great Big L raps, If you 730, that means you crazy. Some might call me 730. I was recently hospitalized and diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and I'm trying to make sense of an issue both for myself and my audience that's too often misunderstood. I'm not a mental health expert. But I'm here to engage mental health professionals, athletes, artists, and other cultural influencers in conversations that explore how trauma and mental illness intersect with black culture. So welcome back to the 730 Podcast. For this episode, I was lucky to sit down with Serenity J. Smith. Serenity's been really involved in this mental health space. She interned at the National Alliance for Mental Illness, NAMI. Um, Many of you may be familiar with that. And she's currently teaching as an international educator in the Netherlands. Her interests and hobbies focus strongly around traveling and, you know, broadening her experiences through that and also sharing that experience Uh, with others, particularly educators. You know, Serenity was in town and she reached out to me and said, you know, I gotta, we gotta do this podcast. I gotta come on your podcast uh, and talk about, I got a lot of stuff to talk about and I want to share some of my experiences. So I said, bet, let's do it. So she came up from Atlanta where she was living at the time and we did a studio recording. She shared a lot about her experiences growing up in a household with two parents who were recovering drug addicts and obviously her mother's condition and how it's impacted her life. So looking back on the conversation, I was just really humbled by how willing she was to share her experiences. And, you know, it kind of put in perspective for me just how important this these conversations are, how important it is for people to understand what mental illness is and how it manifests itself and to really understand that it's not only the people that are living with mental illness that are affected by it but there's generations of children and people who have had experiences with family members and loved ones who have these experiences or have these conditions or illnesses and you know we don't often talk about that that's the taboo behind mental illness and and mental health conditions serenity is just a, a beam of light and it's pretty amazing that she's been able to overcome what she's overcome and really push through and and advocate for not only her mother but for others as well and here it is so you reached out to me a couple months ago and after listening to a couple episodes of the podcast and, and said you really felt like you needed to be on uh, to have a conversation surrounding your experience with uh, mental illness in your own life. Uh, I know you say your mom has schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what, what prompted that? Like what about the podcast made you say, uh, I want to do this and I want to be on this. Because as you said, you haven't really talked about this publicly before. Um, So 
I hear a lot of talks about self-care and um, people should take care of themselves, you know, preventing depression. If they have these things, they should seek therapy and all of that. And um, although I agree with that, I feel like a lot of people don't put focus or emphasis on mental health within those that are living with, you know, conditions such as schizophrenia, bipolar, depression. Um, I feel like these days it's trended towards self-care, seek therapy, um, which is all great because we should really be pushing ourselves to be healthy um, for our own self. Um, But my experience is a little different. So I grew up as a child who had a parent with mental illness. And a lot of times in society, you don't really talk about what about those children who are growing up um, to be caretakers to their parents as a child. You know, it's always talked about eventually as a, sorry, as a son-daughter, you'll eventually become a caretaker for your parent, but not at such a young age where my childhood was kind of like vanished because I had to take care of my mom who um, was living with schizoaffective disorder. Um, and so I didn't know that you had experiences yourself and for you to boldly say it um, really was like inspirational for me um, because it gave me that, you know, that pat on the back and also that comfort to say like, it's okay. You know, people are living with mental illness and people um, are still going about their day to day. And I just felt like it was okay for me to share my story. And because you had this platform, I thought, I would be honored to come onto this platform and share that story. So that's why I was interested. Straight up. I appreciate you um, wanting to do it. I know that was not an easy thing, so yeah. much much appreciated and much respect for that. Uh, so you say your, your mom has schizoaffective disorder and that your childhood was essentially vanished as a result. How did How did your mom's condition manifest itself like what did that look like for the typical person that doesn't mm-hmm. know what it's like to live with someone who has schizoaffective disorder sure. what were some of like the behaviors and symptoms that you would see so growing up with my mom I didn't know what she had no one talked about it I just knew that my father's side of the family and my father was very protective of me I knew that it was very secretive in the house it was very odd. She was very overprotective. A lot of times she would just be in her room with the closed door. I could come home, come home from school. Um, I would have to knock on the door or have communication through the door. Um, she wouldn't really open the door and she'll just say, you know, dinner's on the table. How was your day at school? And I'll be like, good. And she'll just stay in her room. And that was hard. I had a brother, an older brother who lived in the house with me. We didn't really much get along. He always picked on me. And If my mom did come out the room, she would always just be journaling and just look so depressed. Um, She didn't really talk much. Um, I didn't really have the mother-daughter relationship that I really wanted. Um, We didn't really go out to movies. We didn't do activities together. It was just very um, secretive and mysterious and just odd in the house. I I was not allowed to have friends over. Um, Anytime someone called the phone, she would pick up. And talk to them for it and be like, Serenity can't talk right now. Like I could, I had curfews. I couldn't go out. A lot of my um, adolescent years was a lot of lying. You know, like um, I went to school in Manhattan Rockefeller Center. um, And that was kind of like my escape. I had a job at the New York Public Library. And a lot of times I would just say I'm working late really just to hang out in a city to, you know, avoid having to go home to what felt like 
uh, just so it sucks, right? Um, and my mom, she was just always depressed and just sad and always in her room and always writing and it, it sucked a lot. You know, um, I didn't know what was happening and it wasn't until I left for college that things kind of spiraled out of control. I remember getting a phone call from my brother, um, it's like my freshman year. And he was like, you know, I don't know what to do. Mommy's acting very weird. She's putting aluminum foil all over the lamps. She's trying to go outside naked. And I remember just being taken back like, what? Like, I was just so confused. Like, what, what are you talking about? And I would just say, Aaron, just call the police, call, you know, call the ambulance, just do what you have to do. And he did just that. And that was the first time my mom was hospitalized. Um, I went to school in Buffalo, so I was eight hours away from home. And I remember taking a Greyhound to the hospital. Um, she was at Creedmoor. And I went to go visit her, and she denied my visitation. Um, and I remember just still being so confused and so hurt because I just wasn't sure what's happening. And then I remember going back to school in Buffalo. She called me, and then she would just start saying weird stuff, like weird, weird stuff, really just like delusional things. And I just would always let my mom talk. Still to this day, I just let her talk. If I couldn't handle it, I just put it on speaker and I'll just continue doing what I'm doing in my dorm room. Um, and I'll just let her talk. And eventually it got worse. It kept getting worse. Um, I was away at school, so I wasn't able to see her physically of how it was getting worse, but it was just constant phone calls. Um, you know, who's telling you to say this? Or, you know, Jimmy and this person is following. And it was just, it was hard to be wrapped in her world. It was really hard, um, even still to this day. And I remember saying to myself, like, I cannot handle this. I don't know what to do. Um, and I was like, I'm going to go to the community clinic on my campus. Um, I went during class. I remember not going to class because I didn't want to see me going to the clinic. And I really just was like, hey, I want to speak to someone. It's nothing wrong with me. I just need to speak to someone. And so they advised or suggested that I be a part of a group. And I remember everyone in that group having some type of issue with themselves, like whether it was anxiety or depression. And when it came around to me, I was just like, my mom, you know, she has schizophrenia and I don't know what to do. Um, and that was the start of like my advocacy with mental health and like really saying it's okay to seek help because I didn't know what to do, where to go. Eventually, it led to me interning for NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Um, I would attend a lot of their classes. And then one thing that I've noticed was that I was the only child of a parent with mental illness. A lot of the classes were siblings, like, oh, my brother's sister has mental illness, or it was parents, my son's daughter has mental illness. But it was never a child with a parent had mental illness. And from a very young age, 16, I would, you know, go into the board of rooms with doctors, social workers, and I would have my notebook and pen and say, what is the medication my mother has taken? Um, ask all the questions. I was, you know, guided and mentored um, by Mary, um, who is the CEO of NAMI. She was really touched by my story, and 
I just tried to get as informed as I can. And it got worse with my mom till this day. It's still very worse. Um, it's to the point where she has been probably kicked out of every shelter in New York City. Um, you know, time to time, I can find her on the subway sleeping. Um, you know, it's it's rough. It's really rough. So you, this was something that you were trying to navigate as a, this was before or after you got into college? Because you mentioned having your notepad going to, to get the information about what medication she was on and stuff like that. So this was during college. This was during college. Okay. Before college, it was just a matter of knowing that something's wrong with my mom, but not knowing what it was. And it wasn't until the doctors in these you know rooms and having sit downs with doctors saying your mother is diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. And she was diagnosed with that the first time she went into the hospital. At first, it was schizophrenia. Okay. Um, and then, um, it was depression, manic depression, and then it was schizoaffective mood disorder. As somebody that's dealing with that, how do you understand schizoaffective versus like schizophrenia? So, my mom definitely has mood disorder. Um, or mood swings, like she can go into hallucinations and delusions, like she's saying all types of stuff. And then I can try to encourage her. You know, I'll say, Mom, you know, I'm sorry that you're going through this. I can't relate. Um, but, you know, have you tried talking to a therapist? Who's telling you to say this? You know what? You get the fuck off my phone. You know, having to deal with things like that um, to constant constant phone calls after phone call after phone call to voicemails my voicemails are flooded every day i have to delete them every day um because she's calling you yeah every she day. calls non-stop all day every day can i ask a question i know that you recently moved down to atlanta mm -hmm. how much of your moving down there had to do with proximity to your mom and like having to deal or not deal with, but uh, sort of attend to her psychological needs? Um, a lot. I, I didn't want to leave. I'm still, like, struggling with not being here because my worst fear and every day all I could think about is, is today the last day? Um, because... She, you know, I just wish I can have my mom, right? My father died when I was 13 from colon cancer, the best father I could have ever had. He himself was an occupational therapist. And so the backstory behind my mom and dad is that they're both um, alcoholics and narcotics, anonymous, like went to meetings. I am um, a recovery baby, you would say. Me too. Okay. Um, so my mom is 26 years clean. I'm 26, but I don't know if throughout this time, my therapist, you know, will say like, you know, I wonder if your mom's relapsed, like if this is where everything happened. But I, my assumption is when I left for college, everything just went downhill. Like, you know, her baby girl is gone. Um, I don't know, but it's so it's gotten worse over the years to the point where now she doesn't even claim my brother. Like, she thinks he's a twin. 
she has gone state to state in search of my brother. I didn't have to call police and put in a missing police report. You know, I had detectives call me and say, you know, we see, you know, the description of your mom. We're going to try to approach her. Um, I've had to call the police on my mom in public. I don't know if you remember Mariani. Yeah, yeah, I remember Mariani. When we first started um, teaching fellows, we went to that McDonald's that was near the Barclays. And I remember, like, seeing my mom in that McDonald's. And I was so scared, embarrassed, fearful, and I ran out of McDonald's. And Mariani doesn't know nothing. She, like, you a racist? Like, what's going on? And I was like, that's my mother. And I was like, I, I can't, it's too much to tell you right now, but can you do me a favor? And I gave her some money if she can go give it to my mother. And she did that. And um, this is like the reality of my world, you know? having to grow up and um really raise myself really trying to heal my own childhood still having to take care and love my mother for who she is um and and still having to accept and learn that I have to accept her for who she is you know it's hard like the boundary is what I'm trying to really um, strengthen right now because if I don't pick up the phone, sometimes I feel so scared. Like if I don't pick up this phone, something might happen. Or if I don't pick up this phone, I don't know. It's just always the worst of the worst. And it's just so much anxiety of constant phone call, constant phone call. So what I've created as a boundary for myself is she can call as many times as she wants because I know that if she leaves a voicemail, I'll listen to it. And if it's nothing major, then I'm fine. Um, But there's a lot of guilt that my mom does. There's a lot of manipulation that my mom does. Um, And it's hard. I'm still, I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm actually being that, you know, I just moved to Atlanta. I've been there for six months. I was seeing a therapist for three months, and I actually just broke up with her um, last week. Speed dating. Yes. First therapist. Um, and I had to break up with her. She just, you know, she, this last appointment, she said something that was really insensitive for me. Um, what was that? So when I was telling her, like, you know, I'm coming to New York, and I'm seeing my mother, I'm having a lot of anxiety. I'm nervous, like... I'm scared to go in the apartment with my mother because the last time I went in the apartment, my mom, she likes to put the chain on the door. The whole apartment is dark. She doesn't put lights on. Um, Sometimes it's just maybe a candle. She looks, you know, scary. She's not taking her medication. And I just don't know what, what my mom is capable of doing. Do I ever think she'll hurt me? No, but do I need to think that, yeah, I'm just going to walk in and think everything's going to be off? No, because there's been times when my mom has attacked my brother. Um, And there has been times when my mom has... It's something about someone who, with a mental illness that is not taking their medication, that can be very frightening. From the look of their eyes to just their body stance. And when my mother's, like, it's like this dark, pierced look. Um, and it scares me and it's scary to like be left alone in a room with her. 
and my brother felt the same way when he went to go visit her. So I actually told my mom, you know, let's meet up outside. That's what I tried to do is like meet up outside with my mom. Um, But the last time she did that, she cursed out everybody in the supermarket um, when I took her shopping. And I remember being so furious. And this is right before I left for Atlanta. Um, and, And there are some things that I'm still learning about my mom that I haven't been exposed to, like just going off people in public. I never knew she did that. Um, I do hear it in some of the voicemails because she thinks that she hung up the phone already. Um, so I'm still, I'm still learning. Damn. I, it just sounds like super intense. I, uh, my mom's used to go off in public. She didn't have a problem going off, but it wasn't like, it was, I don't know. I guess you could describe it as some mental, but it was it wasn't like a hallucination. It was like, motherfucker. Like, you know, like, and it'd really be directed towards us. Like, mm. it'd be something that we oh, did no. or something that my dad did or something that my dude, my mom was dating, did, like, shit like that. And so, yeah, I mean, I can relate on a level, but not to that level. And it was really to protect me. Like, any person that looks my way, like, it's whatever she believes in her head, right? She has this thing against Indians, Chinese, and Caucasians, and Spanish people. She is very aware of politics, and she's like, you know, you damn Spanish motherfuckers, that's why Trump immigrated, like, she says stuff like that, and then when it comes to white people and police officers... Um, when it comes to like white people or police officers, she's like calling them pigs and you white motherfucker and just going off. Like, for example, I can laugh at it now, but it was so embarrassing. I took a food shopping and the lady is scanning the foods and my mother is watching her scan the food and she's thinking, you know how like sometimes the scanning is not going through, so you got to keep scanning. My mother's looking like you motherfucker you put poison in my food and this and that (laughs) bitch you you put my chicken down and and i remember like being so start like whoa and i was like mommy calm down like there was no calm in my mother like i usually like in hospitals when my mom has gone off i've pretty much been able to calm my mom or get her or convince her to take off her clothes so they can search her and doctors will always be amazed like wow, she actually listens to you. And I don't know what it is, but it's really just like, I'm here for you. Fuck everyone else. I'm here for you. And I'm going to be here as long as you need, but mama, you need to cooperate. Um, But that day, she was convinced. Like, And I remember just packing all the groceries, so upset, ripping it off, ripping it off, throwing the money on the counter. Like, you would have thought I was crazy, too, because I was just like, I need to get out of here. And then I couldn't. My mom's still cursing. I got, like, maybe 10 heavy bags in my arms, like, and just walking to the car and, like, let's go, mommy, let's go, let's go. And she's like, no, fuck them, blah, blah, blah. And I just was like, I I was the angriest person ever and so embarrassed. Um, But that that's my mom. And... Through therapy, I've learned ways to deal with that. 
Um, you know, sometimes when she is having a moment, I'll just step back and just be like, she has like a mental illness. You know, I'll just say things like that. To like, like people. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I haven't seen my mom in a minute though. What are some of the things that your therapist like? What are what's like essentially? What's the toolkit for you for dealing with your mom and her her mental illness? Acceptance. Okay. Um. Acceptance. So this is like, I don't know. It's like kind of harsh a little, but like, okay, so what? Your mother has a mental illness. So when she goes off in public, why, instead of you getting upset, why not just maybe taking a step back and just letting her have her moment? And when people walk past, you just let them walk past. Or you can say, you know, my mom, she has a mental illness. I apologize, but you can continue moving. You can keep it pushing. And I'm very protective of my mom. And and I do find myself doing that. But then my mom attacks me. I don't have no damn mental illness. What you talking about? Why are you telling people this? So she's, like, very delusional. Like, she doesn't believe she has anything wrong with her. Um, yeah. So it's a battle. What I think, what I find to be really interesting is, I'm thinking about this as you're describing it. Mm-hmm. Black woman in a supermarket having that kind of episode having that kind of moment i think the public perception is she's crazy she's out of her mind mm-hmm. like and not only that there's a cultural sort of assumption that this is just how black people are like this black woman's like overly aggressive and she's wild and like whatever but and so i don't think people look at it as mental illness a lot of the times, even though they, even though it's like very clear that it might be, whereas on the other hand, if like somebody that's white is in that same situation, it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's brushed off, but people are like far less affected by it. They can like let it go a little bit. It's like, oh, this person clearly isn't mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. right? But there, I don't think that's the perception with black people, um, and so I, I imagine that 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 sort of whole element and component of it is is pretty harsh to or hard to sort of deal with too right mm-hmm. i mean I, I don't know if you have anything to say to that but yeah um yeah i've well my mother's just cursing out random people there are people sometimes who would just stop and look just stand there and look back at her like and it's, it always baffles me because it's just like, clearly, sir, she doesn't look like right in her mind. She's going off. She's saying obvious things like, why waste your time standing there and just looking, right? you know, and just shaking your head. So, yeah, <laughs> there is that stigma and perception. Do you feel like the stigma and perception when you're in those situations with her, is the stigma and perception more harsh along racial lines or is it like you feel like black people are like, oh, like, I don't know. Like, I've never really had to deal with that. Um, I don't know. I, I just it's interesting. People are just like standing and looking like they're just standing. And I, I'm even curious as to why they just stand and look and shake their head and then keep it moving. Um, 
Yeah, I don't. I don't the know. only way, the only way I can really uh, explain that is people just don't understand, you know. And I think what people don't understand, they try to avoid. What seems very complicated, they try to avoid. So your mom doesn't. She doesn't have like a place where she lives right now. She's like bouncing around a shelter system. No. So right now she's living in my aunt's apartment, who just died um, last year around this time. So my mom right now is having a major episode. Right now. Yeah. Um. Constant, constant calling. Like I haven't seen it this way in a minute. Um. I told her I'm in New York. I told her I want to see her tomorrow, and now she's like, don't come. You know, I don't want you to come. Um, really because the apartment that she's living in, which is my aunt, um, she's ex- she's experiencing a lot of episodes there. So, like, people are coming into the apartment at night, stealing money, stealing things from her, um, which is a story that I've heard way back since college. So these are, like, repeated stories. Um, the neighbor across the hall, they have cameras in the house. They're watching her every move. And so she's in a Bronx near the Yankee Stadium. So, you know, there's lighting. She thinks the police are out to get her. You know, they're, I'm very concerned about her health because she const- she's limping at this moment. She's been limping for some time. And she'll just say that, you know, in the middle of the night, they're like shocking her legs and all these things. And anytime that I say, mommy, like, do you just want to go to the doctor just to check it out? Who's telling you say this? You know what? Get if I hear you say something like this, you know it's just all these yeah, threats yeah, yeah. and um. There is no, don't ever mention a doctor, don't ever mention medicine, don't, don't ever mention it. So she's never taken medicine, like medication. No, she has. And um, what's that been like? So, my mother is very smart, and many of the doctors from all the hospitals she's been to, say that she's very clever and smart to the point where she's had judges side on her favor, even when the doctors are there trying to... Like in a courtroom. Yeah, even when they're trying to um, give her shots. She's been very... She has an on and an on and off switch, palpitating and all these things. And it's so hard. Like, I'm always on her side because I... Don't know what to, you know, I don't want my mom to really be in the hospital affected. Um, But then at the same time, she's cursing out every doctor and social worker. Um, I want to say about two years ago, I witnessed the worst thing ever in the hospital. So I went to go visit my mom. I think it wasn't Creammore or was it Creammore? Um, (sighs) It was time for me to go. My mother didn't want me to go. Matter of fact, she thought the doctors were going to do something to me. And so she started to act out. And This was in the hospital. Yeah. They had to put me behind a closed door. And all I could hear is my mother cursing and screaming like a side of her that I know is there, but I've never witnessed it. I hear it from doctors and stuff. And they they had to put her down and give her a shot and I'm behind the door hearing all the kicking screaming the walls being punched and this I remember just crying crying um and doctors consoling me in every hospital or visit I've been to it's always the same comment for someone for so young who is so young you are extremely smart. 
you're strong, you're powerful. I've never seen any child that comes up for a parent and, you know, advocate the way that you do. Um, Where do you think you get that from? (laughs) I don't know. I would say my father. My father and my mother. Like, my mother... She's she's so beautiful. She's her spirit is kind. Like when she is not in these manic states, like she can be so like my mother's the sweetest. She never even hit me when I was young. Um, only one time I came home late. But my father, he's always instilled so much in me at a young age to dealing with men. You know, make sure that any man you deal with treats you as a princess you are. Or, you know, um, when it came to education, when I was in trouble, I had to read his medical books and write a report. There was no TV watching, really. Um, My dad traveled a lot, so I think that's where I get it from. Like, every weekend, he always took me out. Um, We did a lot of road trips together in the summer to go down south with my family. Like, my dad took care of all his grandkids. I'm the youngest of eight on my dad's side. Oh, wow. Um, So I have seven, eight older siblings, too many of us. Um, and Your I have, pops is not playing. Yeah, for a different woman. <laughs> oh, man, he um, is not playing. I have over 20 nieces and nephews, and most of them are my age or older. And I have some that are very young. He was a family man. Like, literally, he gathered all of us up to always going to amusement parks, always going to restaurants. And so his sponsor and his meetings, um, he was Italian. He owned a restaurant, and we would always go there every weekend when my dad picked me up. And my mom, she was back home in her room, stuck. And I think my dad wanted to protect me so much, even to the point where there was a custody battle excuse me, behind my back that I didn't know as a child, um, where my dad was trying to get me to live with my aunt because of my mother. But I remember I remember the phone call and him saying, whatever they ask you, just say, you want to live with Auntie Diane? And I was like, but I don't want to live with that. I want to stay with mommy. Um, not knowing that it was like a court battle. Right. Um, yeah. It's amazing because despite everything that you've had to deal with with your mom, you still acknowledge and recognize her as somebody that that gave you a lot right Mm -hmm. what I've come to say to myself is that I am my mother's story and legacy Um, there is a generational curse of mental illness within my family my grandmother who's still alive I don't have a relationship with her I do know her but the only time she talks to me is for money my mother has the same habit money Um, my mother's brother has a mental illness um, he doesn't talk to me. My mother's side of family is very scattered. It's to the point where I don't even know my history, which I want to know, because my mother is not fully black, but my dad is. And I want to know my history. Like, when people are like, what is your ethnicity? I'm like, black, even though <laughs> <laughs> it's more to it. You should I... do one of those ancestry tests. I, I did know. one last year. I'm curious... So you you travel a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about two things. What are some of the places that you've been? Mm-hmm. And 
what are your what are your experiences? I've been to places in the world where black people don't go, right? Mm-hmm. And I and I know you've been to some of those places too. And one of the things I think about is when I was in Vietnam, I saw this black person in Hoi An, this town of Hoi An, and uh, it was like a family of four. And the dad waved to me and says, "Come on," which is like "thank you" in Vietnamese. And I was like, uh, "What?" Like, mm-hmm. um, so I don't know. Like, what are your experiences traveling um, as a black woman? Um, it's been lovely. Um, I've been to over twenty five countries. Um, I have studied abroad. That's where I started. Um, where was that? In Manchester, England. England. Yeah. Um, My experiences. So travel for me, it's really like therapy. It allows me to escape the realities of what's happening back home. Um, In a way, it started out as a passion, obviously. um, And then it became something that really helped me to like find healing and find myself. Um, and I'm very big on like solo travel. Um, I really prefer to just go by myself. Um, I've regretted some trips where I brought my friends or family. Um, and really it's because I really just want to get immersed in other cultures. Like being in other cultures and experiencing other cultures gives me some type of awakening and acceptance and some type of compassion. Um, I will always say that I've always been a compassionate person, but it really allows me to come back home and to deal with the, you know, realities of life. And my mom, um, one thing about my mom, she always supports my travel. She has something to say about it. Like, you know, are you being human trafficking? Please let me know. Did someone kidnap you? She says all types of stuff, but I will say that my mom's always supported my travel because that's always one thing she wanted to do. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, she supports it. She she supports everything. Like, she's super proud of me. I can show up to the hospitals. Doctors will say, you know, your mom talked about how you interned for this and that and this and that, and you just graduated. And I'm like, she's, she's super proud. Um, but as a black woman abroad, um, it's interesting. Like, I've really come to realize that as Americans, we're so privileged that as a black person, you're even more privileged abroad. Um, And that's because people are just really so interested in that culture. 90% of the time, people are not looking at you or grilling you or talking to you or approaching you because they dislike you. It's because they want to know, why are you here? Where are you from? And, like, can I get to know you? Um, Especially as a black woman. Um, They don't think that you're celebrities, but they just want to know, like, wow, like, I see you guys on TV. I hear about you guys, but what is it like being American? Um, They always think you have money, so that's interesting. Um, And everybody is really just generous, like nice. Like I really, I've never had an encounter that um, made me say, "Fuck this culture, fuck this country," Um, except for Morocco. Really? Yes. I want to go to Morocco. Maybe I won't go now. No. As a black man, you'll probably be fine, but as a woman now, they're too touchy-filly, cat-calling. Um, me and my friend actually got trapped in an alley when we were trying to find our way back to the hostel where they tried to kiss us and do all types of stuff, and we had to really get black on them. Wow. Um, 
and that was never again. Um, so my favorite country or countries was Japan. Um, Love Japan. I would say Bali, Amsterdam, Budapest. I love Budapest, Hungary. Um, Germany was really dope. Berlin. Yes. Um, and Japan's your favorite, though. Mm-hmm. What do you like so much about Japan? The culture, the people. Like, everyone is so nice. It's so interesting. It's, everyone is so nice, yet everyone goes about their business. So you know how you hear in China that everybody's going to take pictures of you and videos? In Japan... It's like, who cares? Like, they are going about their business. It's a lot of middle working class people. Um, they're just super hospitable and, and, sorry, and nurturing to anyone who shows up in their country. Wow. So you've done a lot of travel. It's like a, a real escape for you. Mm-hmm. To the point where now I've turned it into a business. So I just um, launched a travel agency where my goal is really to help millennials um, travel affordable, right, um, and to experience culture through education. And in my target audience is educators, teachers, because um, I find that a lot of educators feel like they, they can't, can't travel. travel and do types of things. And it's like this is the number one job that allows you all those perks. That's cool, though. Um, what, what country you got on your, on your, on your mind next? I So... I really want to take my mom on a trip, which is, like, real deep to even say because I don't know how that's going to work. Um, But she wants to go to Israel, Jerusalem, so bad. She talks about it all the time. My mom's very spiritual. Um, And that's that's one thing that I really admire about my mom. Um, She, despite of her maniac and everything she knows the bible front and back she always leaves me a scripture every night she's always praying over me and i want to say that she's really a strong woman through christ like she she'll always say you know god is really he hasn't failed me he's always protected me you know it could be worse and she says these things and it's like how are you having rational thoughts in the midst of in the next seconds you know or minutes you're about to say some crazy shit right um do you think her spirituality that plays in her not like for example taking her medication or maybe mm-hmm. getting the help that she absolutely like she's trying to pray it away yeah like she says vitamins will cure her um like when i used to say mommy have you taken med- medicine yeah i took my fish pills you know i read my bible um, God tells me he's going to save my children, and she repeats the same scripture every day. It's wild. It's wild what religion will do mm-hmm. or what it does to a lot of people that are in these types of situations. But that's what gives me the faith right. that I have because I do say, like, in spite of everything that my mom's gone through, he has always protected her. From my mom going to Virginia, to D.C., to other states in search of my brother who is in goddamn New York and believing that he's in a facility locked up, being tested on, he really has protected her. 
he has protected me. I always say that my mom, who she is, was meant to be who she is. This journey that I'm on is meant to be because I'm my mom's story, you know? Um, God has really provided me so much that many typical 26-year-olds who have who may have parents with illnesses and things like that probably would not have lasted. I'm curious if you had like you're 26. You're sitting in a in a in a room full of black people that were like say mid 20s mm-hmm. like you are and their parents had or have mental illness. What would you tell them? And they were try and they were trying to figure it out. What what would you tell them? One be be kind to yourself. Um, and when I say be kind to yourself, I mean growing up with parents with mental illness, you are having to find an identity that you were technically never given or molded um, by someone else. And so it's going to take a lot of healing. It's going to take a lot of compassion. Um And it's going to take a lot of inner self-reflection. I will always tell people to be bold. Don't ever be afraid to speak up about mental illness. Don't be afraid to seek therapy. Um, Don't be afraid to be your own revolution, right? Um, Know that you are your parents' greatest gifts. Um, You are your parents' story. My mom's story is what it is because what I'm currently doing it's for everything that she couldn't do. I am her, like. Legacy. She, yeah. Like she, sac- I look at it in a sense like she sacrificed her life, right? She didn't choose this, but she, in a way, she sacrificed what it is that she's doing so that I can have the opportunity. And it's no way that I'm going to sit back and feel bad and cry about my mother's circumstance when God has allowed her to still be here with me, right? And so there's a lesson in it. And it's a matter of. Are you going to sit back and feel bad? Are you going to sit back and complain and say, I wish my mom could have attended my graduations and all these things? Or are you going to look at it and say, what is the purpose that you have to serve for other people today? You know, um, we we have a story. We have a purpose. Um And I I just think that's powerful, that younger people who are dealing with parents with mental illness should speak up. I find it interesting that I am 26 and I have my experiences, you know, with my mom, but yet my wisdom and knowledge sometimes is far beyond my years because of my experiences. And I think, you know, children, adolescents who are experience and what I'm experiencing need to recognize that that you have so much strength and power that if you use that you'll realize that everything that you're going through is for a greater purpose right um and and I'm I'm I've recognized that I see that and that's what I'm doing Serenity's experience speaks to the magnitude of mental illness in our country. Her willingness to share some of her experiences took me back to some of the most pivotal moments of my life. 
Hearing Serenity talk about her mother's episodes brought me back to the hospital psych unit. Even though I can find humor in that experience now, the seven days I spent in the hospital might as well have been a whole year, or at least it felt that way. And no matter how functional I may perceive myself to be, the psych unit put in perspective for me just how grave the mental health crisis is in this country. It made me acknowledge for the first time in my life that the people I was sharing those corridors with were not crazy or 7.30. They were ill. They needed medical care, just as I did. Those seven days in the psych unit humbled the fuck out of me. And since then, I've looked at mental illness with far more humanity and compassion. For that, the painful experience was worthwhile. And serenity made me think about the complex relationship I had with my biological mother. Yes, my mother was the crux of some of my most scarring memories. Everything from witnessing her addiction and relapse to being forced to live in homeless shelters. I can't look at those experiences and not think of her. But my mother is also the person most responsible for changing my life. And I say this for the better. She signed over the papers for my adoption and allowed her youngest son to leave her household. It must have been the most heartbreaking moment of her life to know and come to the realization that her son was better off in the care of another family, one that didn't even look like him. But she did it, and this is something that the youthful and entitled me took for granted. I'll forever love my moms. She changed my life more than any soul on this planet. Without her, I wouldn't be where I am today.